Well, this morning I want to do something a little bit different. It's not as much an expository message I want to bring as really a, a talk. I want to share my heart on what's been taking place in around the world, and we're all very familiar with what's been happening in Israel, and I said it in the first service, but I do find that every time somebody sneezes in Israel, there's another book on prophecy written, and it doesn't matter what's going on, there's always, somebody's got a new book. And so I don't want to get caught up in a lot of uh, what can be the sensationalism of Bible students, but I do want to speak in the light of the events of just where, where we stand with Israel. And, and just a little bit about Israel as a nation and the Jewish people in God's plan. And I want to begin with the scripture, Isaiah 62, written about 2,700 years ago. And so I'm going to ask you to read this scripture with me as we begin this morning. Let's read aloud and together. Isaiah 62, 1. Because I love Zion, because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I will not cease to pray for her or cry out to God on her behalf until she shines forth in his righteousness and is glorious in his salvation. Amen. That's not a wish. That is prophecy. That is going to come to pass. We will see that day. You know, the Bible is very clear in its assertion that God has a very distinct plan for the Jewish people and for the nation of Israel. Uh, that plan includes the restoration of her homeland. I've got news for you. Uh, the Jewish people are back in their homeland of Israel, and they are never leaving again. That is the promise of God. He also promises his supernatural protection from extinction. Whether it's today or in the future under the reign of Antichrist, he will protect a remnant of his people. He also has promised a spiritual revival among the people of Israel. There will be millions who come to saving faith in Jesus as the Messiah and they will also enjoy a thousand-year reign of peace with the Lord when he returns and establishes his throne. The Lord is going to rule the earth from the city of Jerusalem. And so the Jews are still God's chosen people. God is still in a covenant relationship with the Jewish people. Even though they have not always followed him, we read the scriptures, we know history. Even though many who live in Israel today may be defined more as atheistic than than really have any belief in God, they are still loved by God. They are greatly loved by God, and God will not uh, forfeit his side of the covenant. He is still with them. Now, it's important for us to understand that being God's chosen people doesn't mean that Israel is his favorite. God doesn't have favorites. For God so loved the world. Every single man, woman, of child, every race, every religion, every nationality, God loves every single one of us. And yet Israel does have a very special place in the heart of God because God did select through a man named Abraham, his wife Sarah, God began to create a nation. And the reason he created the nation was because the world was in darkness. There was no word from God. People didn't know who God was. They worshiped demons. They were, it, was a, it was a world that we can't fathom of. And so God raises up a nation for the purpose of revealing himself to them. So God selected Israel to entrust to them his word, to again reveal himself to them, to love on them, to show them how life is intended to work, so that as they would walk with God, they would know his peace, they would know his strength as a nation, but all for the purpose of, yes, their enjoyment, but for the purpose of being a light to the nations around them, who could look on the nation of Israel and say, what's so different about them? Basically, what the Lord requires of us as, as sons and daughters of God today. Why are they so different? Who is their God? And there would be a natural hunger to know God. So that's the reason why God chose the people of Israel. 
It was to Abraham, who you might call the founding father of the nation of Israel, that God promised in Genesis 22. He said, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, we know the ultimate blessing was the birth of a Jew. You may have heard of him. His name was Jesus. He was Jewish, by the way. That was the ultimate blessing. Jesus came into this world, a Jew, to save the world from their sin. But we also know that the world is a much better place today, has been greatly enriched by many of the contributions of the Jewish race down through the centuries. Now, in saying that and believing that, that does not mean that we have to agree with everything Israel does as a nation. It doesn't mean that they always make the right choice. We're going to discuss some of the things that are, they're blamed on that is not them, this propaganda. But generally, just like our own nation, if our nation does not, by and large, follow God, believe in Jesus, it's going to make wrong choices. The leaders are going to make wrong choices. Israel can do that too. So supporting Israel doesn't mean we always have to agree with every choice they make. Neither does it mean that we are anti-Arab or anti-Muslim. We are not. We love and are called to love Arabs, Muslims, and Jews equally. God promised Abraham. Abraham had another son, Isaac, from whom the Jews came. Ishmael, the son of, the, of his servant Hagar. Ishmael, from which the line of the Arabs came. God also made a wonderful promise to, uh, to Ishmael in, in, uh, in Genesis 21, saying that he would bless his line. And I think we can say quite safely that the Arab nations are blessed. They have great wealth. They have great resources. God has certainly taken care of them as well. So that is the attitude that we need to have toward the Arab people, toward the Muslim people. Our attitude needs to be one of blessing. Now, we have seen some pretty horrific acts this last week, but I want to encourage us not to allow the things we have seen and may still see in weeks to come to rob us of the heart God wants us to have for the Arab people and the heart God wants us to have for the Muslim people. We are called to pray for the Jews and we're called to pray for the Muslims because they both need our prayers. So I really want to encourage us this morning to make a decision that we are not going to take our cues from the media especially the legacy media, okay? We are going to take our cues from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God because we want the heart of God. We can be upset. We can be riled up by the things we have seen. We have to have a righteous anger, a righteous passion. But that passion, even that anger, needs to be channeled to prayer, to intercession, to speaking life, to communicating God's heart to not be caught up in conversations that are antithetical to the heart of God. The love of God is not sloppy. God in his love judges. God in his love will root out evil, destroy evil. He's done it down through the centuries. He's done it around the world. We don't have to compromise in that way. But it's not this tit for tat. That's not how the kingdom of God works. That's not how you fight flesh with flesh. We are given spiritual weapons, we have to guard our heart, and we have to be enlisted in the army of God, you might say, in the spirit realm, and march according to his, his orders. And so whatever our initial reaction might be to the atrocities we've seen, our response has to be prayer. It has to be speaking truth and life. I believe that we are living in very sobering times, and, I, and as I said earlier, I understand when these kind of things happen, we can right away begin to think last days, end times, and I believe that we are living probably not just in the last days, we're probably living in the last hours, really when you look at God's calendar and, you know, and God's time frame, 
uh, whatever time may be left. But we have to be careful that we don't grow indifferent to Bible prophecy. And what I mean by that is not only events that happen in the Middle East, we have to wake up to what's happening now in our country. We have to wake up to what's happening through a lot of these social justice initiatives and a lot of these uh, things that are being done that target our children, a lot of these things. I mean, even their currency, the digital currency. There's so many things happening in our world today that we've got to be careful that we're not just drifting along. We have to be able to look at these in the light of Scripture, and in doing so, it, again, it doesn't mean we get all flustered, but we recognize as we see these things being fulfilled according to Scripture, or at least preparing to move that way, we need to realize we are in a season where it's not just business as usual. We are in a season where some things are happening, and we have to make sure that we are strong in our faith, in our walk with Christ. As I said many times before, you can't grow an oak tree overnight. You can grow bushes, you can grow weeds, but you cannot grow an oak tree. And we have been in a season probably these last couple of decades where God has been speaking clearly to his people, wake up. In fact, what did Jesus say time and time again in Matthew 24 after he unveiled the sequence of events that would take place in the last, take place in the last days? What does he begin to do? He begins to share stories, parables, analogies that all point to the same message in chapter 25 and onward. He says, be alert, don't sleep, wake up. In the light of these things that are happening, he didn't say panic, but he said pray. Pray, not only for the events, but pray for yourself that you will be strong, that you will listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about. I so appreciated what Leon had to share uh, Friday night in, 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 uh, in sharing his testimony with the men and, and just the journey he's been on that's brought him into ministry and, and leadership and harvest house. And one of the things he shared was, you know, the Lord is saying, hey, it's time to get things cleaned up. It's time to know my voice. It's time to be in the Word. It's time, in other words, to, to, to move into a spiritual posture because of the ministry you're serving and what God is calling you to. And in the same way, if we're going to be a people who don't just react to things, who don't just follow the news or even deny what we see, we've got to be a people during this time who say, Lord, I'm not afraid, but I recognize we're in a new season. And you're calling us to, to hone our spiritual skills. You're calling us to, to get rid of stuff, to be people who know their God who hear his voice, to people who any time, Lord, when you call us, we can respond and say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. We're in reserve. And so I believe we're in a season. We've got to be careful of that indifference. For example, Ezekiel 38, you may know it well, but Ezekiel 38 speaks of a unique relationship between two nations called Magog and Persia. It's commonly agreed that Magog is Russia. Persia, of course, we know is Iran. What Ezekiel 38 is very clear on in 39 is that these two nations one day, this is a prophecy from thousands of years ago, these two nations come together at some point, they will march from the north and attack Israel. Well, it's been 2,500 years that these two nations have no relationship, but now they do. Only recently, the last couple of years, we know that Iran is supplying, is supplying drones to Russia in their war against Ukraine. We know that Russia is supplying nuclear technology to Iran in their quest for nuclear weapons. So there is a relationship there. There's a pact there, even something like that. It doesn't mean we have to say, oh, oh it's going to all end now. No, no. But understand that relationship was, was prophesied thousands of years ago, and it's just begun, really. So there ought to be something even in that that we wake up and say, okay, Lord, we're in a different season. We need to hear what you're saying. So in the meantime, we need to be praying. I believe we need to be praying that the uh, organization known as Hamas, I have no problem saying this, that they need to be destroyed. 
And what I mean by that, number one, is they either need to come to Jesus or be eradicated. I don't say that flippantly. Because there are many in the Muslim faith, Arab faith, who come to Jesus Christ in such times. I can't remember the gentleman's name. I have his book in my library. The book is called Son of Amas. And he actually was the son of an Amas leader and who disowned him once he came to Christ. But his life has been changed through Jesus Christ. And one of the primary ways the journey began was when he was captured by the Israelites, he couldn't understand how wonderfully they treated him, how civil they were. He's because, you see, he'd been, all he knew was what he was taught as a child from school right up through, to hate the Jews. The Jews were this, the Jews were that. And then along that journey, eventually, he came to know Jesus Christ. It really is a beautiful story. So we need to be praying against a very evil organization. We also need to pray that the people of Gaza get delivered from this reign of terror. Now, they elected Hamas, obviously, and, and many still support them. But we want to pray that through all of this, they can see the actual evil of those who lead them and actually begin to desire new leadership. Because I really believe with all my heart, it is possible that when all of this, if it does settle down, that an actual moderate government can emerge in that region, we, uh, region that we call Gaza. And that they can actually begin to build that nation, or I should say that region, into the paradise that I believe it really can be. And so Israel plays a unique role in God's plan of redemption to rescue the human race from sin. And that's why I believe, that's the only reason why, the powers of darkness have so consistently and irrationally turned the nations of the world against Israel. Because Israel, as the people of God, are called to bless. Israel, as well, have a very specific part in God's plan in end times. And, of course, the enemy doesn't want the end times to be fulfilled. So if he can destroy Israel, then in his own mind, the rationale seems to be that somehow he can stop God's plan. Plus, the devil knows that he can't touch God. So what's he going to do? To hurt God, he wants to hurt God's people. He wants to hurt the Jews. He wants to hurt the Christians, right? If you try to hurt me, maybe you're weaker. You can't. But if you can get at me through my children, it's actually a worse death than anything I could suffer. So I think the devil in his, you know, the way he thinks uh, is always coming after God's people, both the Jews and Christians. So uh, I just want us to understand this morning that God wants the Jews to be a priority to us because they are a priority to him. Let's just look at a little bit of a history of what is called today Palestine. Excuse me. I find it so interesting that in a day where there's so much talk in different nations and here in Canada as well about indigenous people. Indigenous people maybe simply is a name that is given to people who, who have a unique connection to the land in which they live or maybe they one time lived. You may call them First Nations. There's different terms, but indigenous is a term that we use. We need to understand, as we'll see in a moment, that the Jews are the indigenous people of Judea. That's where they get their name. Judea is the region, thus comes the name, the Jews, modern-day Israel, which began more than 3,000 years ago. In fact, for centuries, even when the Jews were exiled from the land of Israel and lived in other nations of the world, they still observed all the Jewish feasts. They still observed, for example, Passover, the Passover cedar. And what would they do at the end of the Passover cedar is they would have a prayer, a wish that they would sing. And it was simply the words, next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem, even though there had not been a nation once again there in that land for some almost 2,000 years, still incredibly in the heart of every Jew was this longing, this desire to be back into their homeland where they once were. Now, politically, we know that the control of that region changed hands from time to time over the last couple of millennia. But this is very important to understand. 
There has never been a nation in the area known as Palestine that was not Jewish. There were non-Jewish people who were scattered throughout and lived in different regions. But there has never been a state. There has been, never been a nation, a sovereign nation in that land that was not Jewish. Even as far back as 1200 years BC, it was in the Egyptian empire that, that uh, scrolls have been found, inscriptions have been found that actually refer to the Jews in Israel. That's going back more than 3,000 years ago. Now, there are three times that the Jewish people have lived in Israel as a nation. The first we're all familiar with. The first was the kingdom of David, we would call, where Jerusalem was the capital city and the temple built by Solomon was, of course, the center of their worship. That started about 1,000 years before Christ. Now, we know the story. Because of Israel's sin and wandering away from God, God allowed Babylon to, to raid the land and take the Jewish people out of the land back to Babylon. Didn't take all of them. There were still many who were there. In fact, there was never a time that there were not some Jews still in the land called Palestine. But they were taken primarily as a nation back to Babylon in the captivity. And it was, they were there for 70 years. After that time, you may remember that King uh, Cyrus of Persia, Iran, he actually overthrew Babylon, and when he did, he allowed the Jewish people, for those who wanted to go, to return to the land that we know as Israel, to rebuild their nation, to rebuild their temple, which they did, a second temple on the same site as the first one. In fact, the western wall is still standing today. If there was ever a case for Israel being the homeland of the Jewish people, if there was ever a case for the Jewish people being the indigenous people of that region, it would be a wall that has been there for 2,000 years. Wouldn't that make sense? As tangible evidence is that this was their homeland. After that, of course, the land was controlled by other peoples because we know that the Romans in 70 AD again dispersed the Jewish people, but this is very important. When they dispersed the Jewish people, what they wanted to do because of their anger. I mean, these, these Jewish people were stubborn. They were fighters. They were revolting all the time. They were a pain in the neck. And so what the Romans decided is, we are going to once and for all completely disconnect these people from their homeland because they knew this is the indigenous people, and they knew they're just going to come back. So they said, we are going to change the name of this region. And they changed the name from Israel to Palestina. They took the name Palestina from the ancient peoples, the Philistines, who didn't live there, but it was a name they simply took. They called this region we know as Israel, they called it Palestina, because they were basically saying once the bulk of these people now are exiled again, they're not going to come back, because it's going to be a different place, a different region. So that is where the name came from. It's important for us to understand. Now, after that, the land was controlled. It changed hands from different peoples, like the Romans. You may have heard of the Byzantine Empire. You've heard of the Ottoman Empire, probably the British. There were a few others in between there. They never established a nation, but they were foreign nations, basically, who had control of the region. They still dominated it. They tapped into the resources, those kind of things, but they didn't occupy it in the sense of starting a new nation. But in all that time, it's important to understand, from the time the Jews were exiled... 70 AD, the bulk of them scattered other nations of the world to this very day, or until Israel became a nation, rather. There was never, ever in the history of that region a Palestinian state. There was never, ever an Arab state. 
There was never, ever a Muslim state, only Jewish. The Jews are the only ones to have an actual nation, a state in the land that is called Palestine today that we know as Israel. And then in the 19th century, Zionism was born. Now, Zionism has become a bad word because it has been manipulated, it has been spun by, by media who don't understand the issues, spun by pseudo-intellectuals in our academia, in our universities who don't understand the issue, who have a bias. Zionism has nothing to do with occupation. Zionism has nothing to do with expansionism. What Zionism is, is simply a desire that God has placed in the heart of every Jew to be able to one day leave the nations where they live. They'd be content to live where they are, but we know through human history, in our, even in our own recent history, we know that Jews most often have been picked out, have been persecuted, have been killed. And so what are the Jews saying? We just want our own nation where we can be safe. We can have our own borders. We can have our own culture. We can live in peace. That's all we want. That's what Zionism is. And so we know our history, and we'll get back into that in just a few moments. But the third Jewish nation was born in 1948, as we know, and it continues to this day. It's a nation that's not perfect, but it is a democratically elected nation. It shares very similar values to our own nations here in the West. It is the only nation where you can freely worship your God. It is your only nation where you can live as you choose within the law. I find it... I mean, it's not ironic, it's not funny, it's just the demonic deception. But I find you have so many of these special interest groups who have the banners and say that we stand with Palestine. And yet the reality is if they went to Palestine today, they'd be thrown off a building. You just see the demonic nature of the deception that is there? And yet they could go into Israel and live freely. Do anything, just like you can in our country. That's the demonic deception behind it. And so in 1948... Israel uh, was birthed as a nation once again. And, and, and again, there's over a million Arabs who live there. There's almost 200,000 Christians who enjoy prosperity, who enjoy equality. Well, we don't have time to get into all of it this morning. I don't pretend to be an expert, but I want to address the question, why all the territorial disputes that we hear about in the media over these last years? If you know your history, you'll recall that about 100 years ago, that whole region with the surrounding countries was known as the Ottoman Empire. The Turks controlled that area. The Turks made one mistake. The Ottoman Empire, and that was during the Second World War, they sided with the wrong country. They sided with Germany, I think it was Hungary, uh, missing the name there, um, Austria, Austria-Hungary, um, uh, Italy for a little bit, then they switched sides. But yeah, so basically that's who they joined with, primarily with, with the Germans. And so, having lost the war, well, what happened? The League of Nations, of course, which came before the United Nations, divided the empire into distinct countries in the whole region. That's why we have, for example, the specific boundaries of nations like Iraq, uh, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Palestine. Now, Palestine was eventually given to the Jews. But I want us to understand, once again, Palestine was never exclusively an Arab area. There were different nationalities that were there. Palestine was a name created by the Romans. In fact, this is very important. The reason 
the, re the region that was known as Palestine was given to the Jews is because in that time after the First World War, the Jews were recognized as the indigenous people of Palestine. Do you hear me? That's why they were given the land. It's not because there wasn't anywhere else to put them. They said, we want to go there. That's our homeland. And historians understood, yes, we have the historical artifacts. We have the literature. We have all the evidence. This was where the Jews lived. We were giving it back to them. They were promised much larger borders. They ended up with very much smaller borders when they actually got there. But this is also very important. When the Jews got to Israel, what we know as Israel today, even though the borders were smaller, they did not go in and start expanding those borders. They did not go in and start wars. They did not go in and expel people that are there, generally speaking. What did they do? They said, here's our vision. Here's our nation. Here's what we believe in. If you want to join us, if you want to assimilate, if you want to be part of our nation, we welcome you if you want to live in peace. And that's exactly what they did. And they began to build their nation. So in 1948, they declared their independence. And then we all know what happened. Immediately upon declaring their independence, the five surrounding Arab nations got together and said, we have to destroy Israel. We're going to drive them into the sea. And naturally speaking, it should have been no problem at all. It was absolutely ingenious. And of course, we know it was led by God how the uh, Israelis had a you know, sneak attack and eliminated a lot of the uh, air force and everything else before the battle even began. But in that war, Israel lost parts of Jerusalem as well as Judea and Samaria. By the way, Judea and Samaria in the northern region to the west, that is what became dubbed as the West Bank. Okay? I want us to understand the West Bank was in Israel's border. It was Israel's land. Now, long story short, in 1967, when the Arab nations attacked again, Israel fought in what was called the Six-Day War. It actually only took about six hours for Israel to win. It was a miracle. But they called it a six-day war because they, they honored God's six days of work and creation and then rest on the seventh. So that's kind of why it dubbed that name. But during that battle, when it was all done, Israel took back the West Bank. They took back Gaza. They took back the Golan Heights in the north. They took back the, they took, they took rather the Sinai Peninsula in the south. Israel has never occupied Palestinian territory. And the reason they've not occupied it is because you can't occupy land that you own. It's their land. Now, there have been times through history, of course, where they have given up great swaths of land because of the promise of peace. They recognize they're surrounded by all these Arab Muslim nations. If they're going to survive, they have to make some deals. But when you look at even the land mass alone, do you realize that Israel occupies, try to figure this out, of all the surrounding Arab, uh, Arab and, and Muslim land in the Middle East, you've got this little spot called Israel. They occupy 0.6 of 1% of the land in that region. That's it. They have a population of about 9 million people compared to about 465 million people that surround them. All they want is to live in peace. But that's one of the primary reasons why they make these deals. Sometimes they should, sometimes they shouldn't. But they make these deals because they just realize how vastly outnumbered they are, and they just want to live in peace, and so they give away strips of land from time to time. 
But regardless, Gaza was one of those pieces of land. Back in 2005, you may recall, Israel pulled out basically any influence whatsoever, basically said, God bless you, you're on your own, all the best. That was 2005. In other words, Gaza has been its own territory, its own leadership, its own opportunities for almost 20 years. Now, I want to be clear. Palestinians have suffered over these last many years, but they have not suffered at the hands of Israel. That's an important distinction. Now, there are times that Israel has had to retaliate because of aggressive assaults on their land, or they've had to push back some housing or some areas, and again, I'm not saying every decision is right, but they've had to push back some areas. Why? Because they need to create buffers because of, of, of terrorist attacks and because of missiles and all these things. And I'm, I'm sure there's always an exception to one of those stories somewhere, but by and large, Israel is not the initiators of the conflict. The primary reason Palestinians suffer in that land called Gaza. In fact, Palestine is not even the right term. It's, it's Arabs who live in Palestine, who live really in what is the rightful land of Israel. But I'll say Palestinians because we understand what I'm saying. But the reason they suffer is very simple. It's because their leadership does not care about them. Their leadership uses them in their war to destroy Israel. That's why. Hamas, as we've heard that name very much this last week or so, and other Palestinian leaders have received hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars for aid, to build infrastructure, to have a, a city, to have a, a, a region that is equally prosperous as Israel. But every single dollar gets kept by the leadership. It's used to buy weapons. It's used to enrich themselves. In fact, the leader of, of Hamas himself, I believe, is safely living in Qatar, in, in wealth and opulence and comfort. So kind of shows where the heart is. They don't care about the people. Now, the media won't tell you this, but Israel actually provides free water to Gaza. Israel provides electricity. Israel allows more than 20,000 Palestinians from Gaza to come across the border every single day to work in Israel, to make money for their families, to provide for their families, because Israel is a civilized nation. And now the people of Gaza, we see on the news, if you can believe it, but I believe this one, the people of Gaza are being told by their leadership to stay in Gaza. Despite the attacks, why? Because the leadership doesn't care about them. The leadership wants pictures of dead citizens in Gaza that it can use to manipulate the Western media, that it can use for propaganda. That is the only reason. They tell them to stay in the schools if they're intact, stay in the mosques if they're intact, stay in the hospitals if they're intact, because that's where the weapons are hidden. And so if you're going to take out our weapons, you're going to take out these facilities. You're going to take out these people who are there. You see, there's a saying that I believe is very true. It says that Israel uses its weapons to save its people. Hamas uses its people to save its weapons. The people don't matter, according to the Hamas. It's actually in their charter. They exist only for the reason to destroy and to kill Jews. And so we need to understand this morning that the people of Gaza are never offered help. Egypt has not offered help. Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, none of them have ever, through the years, sent anything by way of money or resources. And even now, as they're fleeing, at least the last I heard last night, 
All of those nations have closed their border to the people of Gaza. So what does that say to you? It means, what it says to me is that the objective is not to secure a homeland. The objective is to kill Jews. That's the objective. And so we just need to be aware of, I believe, what is the culture in that region. This is for the very beginning. This is not to prejudice us against the people of Gaza. Yes, the leaders, yes, those who are doing these horrific atrocities, the people that are, you have to be demonic to do what they've done. We've seen some of the reports. But it's not to bias us against Muslim people or Arab people whom God loves and to whom Jesus even appears and many are coming to Christ. But let me just wrap up here with explaining two reasons why I think we need to stand with Israel. We know this already, but just to remind ourselves. Number one, Jews and Christians, we are inextricably linked by our past. We may take this for granted, but if Jews didn't exist, we wouldn't be here this morning. You, you see, we get our patriarchs and our, and our prophets from the Jewish nation. We get our Bible. Every book was written by a Jew. The first family of Christianity, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. Kind of sounds like a rock group. But all three of them, well, that was Peter, Paul, and Mary, sorry. Yeah, anyways, they would have made a good group too, but, but they were Jews, right? And of course, Jesus said himself, he said, salvation comes to the world through Jews. Without Jews, there is no Christianity. The Bible says in Galatians 3 that if you are a Christian, then you are a descendant of Abraham. What does that mean? It means that we are all connected. If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Jew has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, we are brothers and sisters. We all come from the same root. The Bible says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I think it does so with the full awareness that there are still devastating days ahead. There will be another Jewish Holocaust. There will be all, you know, attention going back. By the way, you ever notice when you read your Bible, it doesn't mention Moncton? <laughs> Strange, eh? Doesn't mention Canada, doesn't mention the U.S. All these nations come and go because all eyes, all attention is going back to Israel. That's where it started. That's where it's going to finish. That's where we're going to reign and rule with Christ for a thousand years. And whatever he has beyond that, only he knows, and he'll show us when the time comes. But he says we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to pray. Why pray at all? Why pray? That word is kind of interesting. We look at it in the Hebrew language. It's not the typical word that is used for praying in the sense that we you know, make our petitions known or, or request things from God. The word sha'al actually has to do with inquiring. So what it's saying when it says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it's saying, listen, we have a vested interest in what takes place in that nation. We are connected to them. We are related to them. So when things are happening there, you need to seek the Lord and say, Lord, how do I pray at this time? What are you doing at this time? We are part of your army. We are priests and kings of God. We are intercessors in the realm of the Spirit. We have a resource which the average Jew does not have unless they know Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, how do we get engaged? How, when you want to call us up and say, it's time to go to battle, Lord, we want to know how to pray. We don't want to take, again, our cues from the media. We don't want to take our cues from even the things we see with our natural eyes that might bias us. We want to turn it all off, get in the prayer closet and say, Lord, what are you doing? How do I pray? How do I speak? How do I communicate things? How can I be a voice of reason and of life, a prophetic voice in these dark times? The verse goes on to say, may those who love her be safe. There are very few people who are willing to stand beside Israel firmly. But God says he will honor those who do. And secondly, Christians and Jews are not only inseparably linked by our past, but also by our future. 
I say this with all kindness, but I don't know how else to say it. The Middle East problem is not complicated. The bottom line is this. Many Palestinians wish that every Israeli was dead. If they didn't wish that, there would be peace. It's just that simple. It is not complicated. I hear people on the news and the panels and, oh, it's so, no, 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 it's not complicated at all. No, no, we just want to live at peace. Just leave us alone. We'll bless you. We will help you. We just want to be our own nation like any of us want to be our own nation. But, of course, the narrative gets spun, and, and the media won't report the truth, of course, and the reason why is not because I don't believe the average person in the media you know, has some kind of diabolical plan they're aware of. They just don't realize that the powers opposed to Israel are not just people who don't like Jews. They are demonic powers. They are demonic powers who are bent on the annihilation of God's people. And, friends, these powers cannot be overturned politically. They will not be overturned just by the power of persuasion. They will only be overturned when the people of God recognize the season that we are living in. We're not fearful, but we get off our bottoms, right? We stop paying attention to all the Freedom 55 and savings and whatever the case may be, just nose to the grind, living our lives. We say, whoa, we're in a different season. We're in a different season. It's time to put down some of these things, begin to pick up the armor, time to pick up the weapons once again and say, okay, Lord, you lead us. What are you doing? What do you want us to be involved in? So we need to understand the day that we're in. We also need to understand that if every Jew in the Middle East were killed tomorrow, terrorism wouldn't stop. Because of the same irrational hatred that is aimed at the Jew is the same irrational hatred that is aimed at you as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no distinction. It is both. We feel it already in our country. It's only going to increase and eventually bring persecution to both. The Bible says in Revelation 11 that two witnesses will be put to death in Jerusalem at the very end of time. Probably Moses and Elijah. We're not sure, but it seems it will be them. But in the same way, there are two witnesses only who have stood for God throughout history. That is the Jews and Christians. And friends, that is why we are the two most hated groups in the world today. The spirit of this world, demonic spirits, hates everything and everybody associated with the true and living God. You can worship other gods, you can be as spiritual as you want, but you speak the name of Jesus Christ. You pledge allegiance to the living God and you will be marked. Uh, just last year, one of Hamas leaders, a general, uh, Mahmoud al-Zahar, he claimed that Israel is only the first target. He said on Memory TV last December, not that long ago. He said, quote, the entire planet will be under our law. There will be no more Jews or Christian traitors. That is the heart of Hamas. That is the heart of Hezbollah. That is the heart of Iran. That is the heart of these nations that have, have, have set themselves against God and against the church of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say this. I read that, and my response is, that's interesting. Why? He's only a man. Right? What does Psalm 2 say? And I paraphrase. You know, the nations of the earth, the peoples of the earth, they rile against God. They make the plans. They go, go to battle. And the Lord is in heaven and he laughs. You're saying, you know, I, I know, I'm sure it doesn't work this way, but I can just kind of imagine the angels. Can you imagine like Michael and Gabriel up there in the cloud or whatever they're doing? You know, just kind of talking to each other and all of a sudden they hear this, you know, we're going to kill the Jews. We're going to kill the Christians. But what they actually hear is, we're going to kill the Jews. We're going to kill the Christians. That's all they hear. And it's kind of like, Mike, get over here. You've got, you got to hear this. You've got to hear this. 
I mean, they, they, every day and night they're in the presence of God Almighty. And they hear a man say, now, I don't mean that we take threats lightly. They mean what they say. And apart from intervention, apart from, from God being at work and the people of God being engaged, they will do what they say they will do. We've seen that this last week. But the point is when we see these things, we must be careful that we don't fall in the trap of what is the media saying? What's the latest prophetic book saying? If anything is stirring my heart with fear, I want to encourage you to weigh it out in the presence of God. Come before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What would you say? How would you speak through me? How would I be engaged in these days in which we live? I'm going to invite Tanya to join me as we close in prayer this morning. I won't take time to turn, but in Zechariah chapters 12 to 14, it's very clear that when the nations of the earth gather against Israel, he says, look up. Because everything begins to shut down. And I also want to be clear, and I say this in kindness, I'm not any smarter than anybody else. I have my own opinions when it comes to the last days. But I've heard a number of ministries and people that I respect in ministry say, you know, they, they read these things in the headlines and they talk about some of the prophetic things like I just mentioned in Ezekiel 38. And they always conclude with, the Bible says, when these things happen, begin to happen, look up because your redemption draweth nigh. That sounds great. That'll preach. But it's not accurate. Because you read the last verses of Luke chapter 21 where Jesus is actually unfolding the events that will take place. He says, yeah, there's going to be wars. Yeah, there's going to be conflict. But he also says, and they will bind you. And they will shackle you. And they will persecute you. And you will die for your faith. And he goes on and goes on with the things that will happen. And he says, when these things begin to happen, then look up because your redemption draweth nigh. All you got to do is read Revelation 6 through 8, and you discover that when the rapture takes place, those who are raptured, John is very clear. Who are these? The elders, uh, John's, uh, the elders ask John. John says, I don't know. The elders say, these are those who came out of the great tribulation, whose robes are whitewashed in the blood of Christ. What is it? He's talking about the church of Jesus Christ has been raptured out of a time of great tribulation. Our destiny is inextricably entwined with Israel. God will specifically deal with Israel, and all Israel will come to Christ to the last of the last days. But as we move into Daniel's last seven-year period of time, friends, we're going to be here for a long time. And one of the reasons we're going to be here for a large portion of that, if you understand the Word of God, is because in a time of great darkness, God always has a witness. God always has a light. And God has His people purified in love with Jesus, holy, moved in the power of the Holy Spirit, and seeing many, many people come to Christ. At the same time, why is it in Scripture? At the same time, it speaks of a great harvest. It also speaks of a great falling away because they happen at the same time. They're simultaneous. There are many believers, maybe even some here this morning, I hope not, who will deny Christ, who will fall away from Christ. There are people here this morning, I'm absolutely convinced, who will die for their faith in Jesus Christ. I may be one of them. I may only have 20 years left in the natural. I don't know. But we will die for our faith in Jesus Christ. Whether it's during that last seven-year period or whether things go upside down before that time even comes, persecution is coming to Canada. A great spiritual awakening is coming to Canada as well. But persecution is coming. I don't know exactly when it's going to be, but it's, it's, it's there. It's in the wind. But you know what else is in the wind? It's the Holy Spirit purging His people, 
calling his people, right? Freeing and cleansing, equipping, empowering his people for the last day harvest. Because, friends, you see, we're going to go through the same things that people who don't know Jesus are going through. And the Lord needs people who know Jesus to say, hey, 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 I know you're afraid. But listen, this is what God's word says. This is God's promise. God said these things are going to happen. Don't let worry overtake your heart. You just need to find refuge in Jesus. He'll take care of you. Live or die, you will be with the Lord. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com. For live streams and other videos, check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.